Hey there, Dogtown listeners. Uh, this is your host, Tony St. James, and we're joined today with Robin Petering. Hi. Hey, Tony. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. Good. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> did you feel the rain this morning? Oh, yeah. I like the rain. It was very nice. Yeah. How do you feel about rain? Oh, I love rain. If I could live in Seattle where it rains every day, that would be. Yeah. I spent plenty of time in the Northwest, so if the rain is definitely something that happens a lot up there. So we have an interview that we did, right? Yes, we had an amazing interview last week with a reporter from KPCC, if I'm getting that correct. Yeah, KPCC, Julia Paskin. Yes, an amazing interview about um, statistics on people experiencing homelessness, especially women experiencing homelessness. And the, the main reason being that um, a lot of them, like 57% of them, were um, experiencing domestic violence, which led to them being homeless. Yeah, exactly. So Julia created a series called Pushed Out that is on KPCC as well as LAist. It's a really in-depth series and worthy for everyone to go and read. And like Tony said, yeah, it's focused on the experiences of women who are unhoused and and looking at the intersection between the experience of homelessness, but also the experience of uh, domestic partner violence. You know, one of the things that I highlights or one of the things that I took away too is about how, you know, really there's just like such a massive gap in services, right? This is such a, these are so connected, these two issues, yet there is not like very little things that even um, address the needs that women may have. Yeah. And I feel like uh, one of the things that she talked to us about was the amount of hoops that someone has to jump through just to prove that, you know, they are they need access to certain help, you know, starting with having to apply for restraining orders or like all the other things, all the levels they have to go through just to, you know, qualify for certain housing or just qualify to get into certain programs. And we were all talking about how if these things were made easier, then, you know, a lot of these women are single mothers. A lot of these women are working. So it's like, rather than making them jump through hoops, like how can we make the system easier for women experiencing um, domestic violence, you know, to get into housing or to get into shelters, but also get a sense of their life back in terms of working or in terms of just rebuilding their lives away from their yeah. So, I mean, it's absolutely a place that we really need to focus advocacy, focus more thought around research around and everything. Um, so let's get into the interview. This is Julia Paskin from KPCC. Read her series, Pushed Out. Read or listen. All right. Hit play. We have a guest. We're so excited today to have Julia. Julia, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Julia Paskin. I am a producer for KPCC and LAS.com. And I reported the series Pushed Out. Yes, yes. Pushed Out. So can you tell us more? What what is Pushed Out? 
Pushed Out is, is an exploration, um, a multi-piece, both for radio and for print, for web, uh, of the intersection of uh, domestic abuse or intimate partner abuse and becoming unhoused. Um, and, you know, specifically in the realm of uh, unhoused women, but a people of all gender expressions, age groups, demographic, like there's no... There, every every way you, you slice it, uh, a, a lot of people uh, become unhoused because they, they're survivors of that kind of, um, you know, abuse or violence. And, you know, my, my, my piece was specifically on intimate partner, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks are also, um, you know, in a specific position because of similar forms of abuse from maybe a parent or someone else in their in their lives. So I think, you know, there's generally like a, a through line of of trauma, lack of support and becoming unhoused that relates to a lot of people. So um, if you don't mind me asking, where did the concept of pushed out come from? Or how did you guys get started with pushed out? Well, we were really lucky that we got a grant specifically from the uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation um, specifically to do this kind of reporting. And and there's a movement to to give money to newsrooms because it's just so underreported, you know. And then when you don't have uh, examples in the media, then it becomes all the more difficult for people to, first of all, get funding for help um, or just to even come forward individually because no one's having these conversations. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, and so how long did it take you to create, like when you were doing research and things like that, like what was the process like? Um, it was a very new kind of process. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think, I guess the, the the phrase we would use is trauma informed reporting. Um, and that means ultimately really respecting and trusting your sources, uh, and treating them, in a way that allows them to have power in the way that their story is told and the way they're depicted. Um, and is more about truth telling and a little bit less about building drama, which mm-hmm. sometimes I think gets in the way of good journalism, you know, because we have, we want to tell a good story, but at the same time, you know, that can lead to like objectification mm-hmm. of sources, you know, of people that are their people. Um, and so, you know, like I had a, a colleague who gave an example of um, someone had been doing uh, lots of interviews and then they didn't know what it was going to look like. And then at the end, they see uh, a piece of like print that says, you know, the new face of poverty. And it was the person's face. Yeah. Like, I, well, that's not what I was expecting all this to lead into. And, and so it, I think it has like, to do with a little bit with like considering the way that you structure your reporting a lot more in terms of like how you would like to be treated uh-huh. as opposed to just like putting on your reporter hat and like, like there's a certain level of respect and sensitivity that I think it, it invited uh, that, you know, you don't get to do in other kinds of reporting. Um, but it was a lot of interviews, like a lot of connecting with survivors specifically through providers so that they would have mm-hmm. support You're pushing that emotional button. You know, that that's also another thing journalists do is get into some like rough stuff and then, just like these out <laughs> like, yeah. emotional button, get the good, get the good quotes and then walk out of someone's life. Um, and that was the opposite of what we wanted to do with this project. Um, and you know, looking at data, which was also hard because there isn't enough data, you mm-hmm. know, which is an issue that comes through across all, all sorts of issues with housing and homelessness. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we're in the, the data business, so we know all of, like how commonly, um, underreported experiences of violence are. And just, you know, a lot of like getting into subjects that, that are a little bit more 
sensitive or, you know, for several good reasons, people wouldn't want to disclose that, right? Very personal stuff. So, you know, considering all that is really important. I, what's interesting, you know, we were on even like another call today and something that I've been thinking about a lot is, it's just, you know, the subject of um, homelessness and being unhoused and then also even like layering on, of course, um, the experience of partner violence, right? This is, well, homelessness, right? It's the most, I think it's like the most talked about subject probably in Los Angeles, right? Like everyone yeah. um, has an opinion, has or is in the conversation more than what it has been in, you know, the past couple of years. Um, and so the media has like, you know, a, a responsibility to are engaging in that conversation. So I really appreciate the being able to recognize and see what could be like productive versus not. And I don't know if you have any more uh, guide guidelines or guideposts that you use in doing your reporting around. Um, yeah. The experience of homelessness. I mean, I think it really helps if you personally, if your life has been touched by poverty or homelessness, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just, I think integrating people from diverse economic backgrounds into media in the first place, you know, so that they have a personal point of reference, creating pathways to that, those kinds of job opportunities, I think is really gets at like the crux of the issue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you can't really dehumanize someone that you like have something in common with, um, which is, I think right dehumanization, I feel like is at the heart of the the conversation of homelessness in LA in general. Yeah. You know, whether you're like a NIMBY or a YIMBY, you know, however you like assign yourself in the debate, it's, that still happens. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that was really the goal of our reporting more than anything else to say, this is happening. This is what's happening statistically. And the statistics are like really, uh, surprising. Like people doubt you. They're like, are you sure? Like, yeah, for sure. This is, this is like a, a unanimous kind of, uh, overwhelming fact, but like what that looks like and how that happens tangibly and how truly these experiences could happen to any of us, like, like no kind of uh, personal, like marker, Pre, you know, prevents you from, from possibly being in that kind of path yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think good reporting makes that connection. That's like this, this is instead of this over here. Okay. I'm doing something with, with, I should <laughs> instead of putting yourself you know, at a different, uh, from a distance, how do you feel connection with an individual who's unhoused? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I always equate, um, you know, news as, as to storytelling and how you tell a story and how people are going to interact with the story. How do you feel like the media, how do you feel they've done on, you know, in terms of, because for me, as someone who's experienced homelessness, every time I watch a story or I read the story, it's always, like you said, you know, someone comes to you and it says, we're going to do a piece. But then when you watch the news story, it's like in the background, you know, they're playing, you know, a video loop from, you know, skid row and then they're trying to portray their story and it's like but that's not you know that's not what i told you my story but that's not what this story was meant to be but i always feel like sometimes the media does those sort of things to you know if we if we show somebody in their apartment or if we show somebody who now is no longer homeless and it's like i feel like they feel like sometimes that won't show the impact of what's really going on so it's like, oh, but we have to show that little video of us at Skid Row because then, the, then people will be scared or then people will be like, oh, yeah, there's a homeless crisis. So how do you feel like, you know, media could change, you know, their relationship with um, the way they report on homelessness? And how do you feel like 
you know, what are some of the things in your findings that you feel, you know, everyone should be doing this instead of showing this and that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets back to the, I mean, I think first of all, I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I think, I think the important thing about that is that even people with good intentions participate in that kind of coverage or that kind of sensationalizing, you know, it's like, I need my, I need my hook, you know, I need something that will grab an audience member. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think part of the question is asking like, who are you serving in your reporting? And I'm really lucky that I work for a nonprofit public news organization, like mm-hmm. all, most of our, like, I think all of our money, I maybe just except for a little bit comes from donations. So, you know, we're not beholden to specific entities that are like, you need to get certain number X, Y, and Z, you know? So I'm lucky. Like I wouldn't, if I, I wouldn't want to work in a different kind of news organization, you know, because I don't want to be bullied into that kind of coverage. And I think, I think part of it is also just like having a strong backbone and it's, it's hard, especially when you're early in your career, when you like in your gut, you know, if you know, like this doesn't feel right, like this isn't the right way to do this. Mm -hmm. It's hard when you have higher ups in an organization that are telling you to do it anyway, get the shot, you know? So for me, it's really important that I get my news from and that I work for organizations that at least, even if we don't succeed, we're striving. And I think sometimes we have public radio has, you know, not always succeeded in this, you know, but we try. And that's why, that's why I work there. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so back to the series, what, you know, we, we read it, it's really comprehensive and it's, it's an issue that, uh, the experience of violence is something that I've, um, you know, that we've, we've been talking about it, my organization for a long time. So it's, it's great to get like this, this larger picture of it. What was, um, what are some of the, like the biggest findings or things that really surprised you when you were going into it? Um, I would say just how many opportunities there are for someone to be failed within like the social service system, you know, which, which is so, I mean, could that can mean so many different things, right? We've got like religious organizations and nonprofits and, uh, municipal agencies. And it's just, it's a patchwork. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's like all the reasons that someone is given to be denied for, uh, assistance, I think was really shocking. Um, and then uh, I'd say the brutality that people have experienced uh, within the shelter system. Oh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. It's, uh, well, I was really taken by, you know, I think it was um, a, a woman had experienced violence and was looking for a DV specific shelter, but the shelter was, you know, what, like very far away, right? And she would have to drop everything, drop all her contacts. Uh, or, you know, if they're trying to get into a homeless shelter, they, she wasn't, you know, like vulnerable or, or homeless enough. Right. Isn't it, wasn't that what was happening? And we see these, uh, yeah, the patchwork are just these massive gaps and putting people into positions that, yeah, they're not, they just don't fit into the, the services that they need. It's just, it's really, I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of that seems to happen because, uh, of, of like, um, division between types of services that like mm-hmm. the idea that domestic violence is separate from homelessness, um, or that, uh, domestic violence victims are already covered through homelessness funding. Um, 
you know, or just what you have to do to prove that you're a survivor, you know, that you, for, to get a lot of services, you have to have filed, filed restraining orders. Yeah. You have to have like a legal paper trail. And that's really hard for a lot of people to do, especially when you're in the process of escaping abuse. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess, I guess the, the button on it would be through all the examples is like the asks of people are not doable. Yeah. And so I, I think that's where like a lot of the, the, it, it clarified something to me, which was like, why, why is there such a misunderstanding? Like, why is there such a poor characterization? Like why, why do people have this assumption that like you can, this bootstraps nonsense mm-hmm. that you can just get a job or just, you know, get, get on social services and it'll just fix your problem. When in practice it, that creates a whole wheel of problems that are not tangible to really get out of in a simple way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to work at, um, or I interned at Peace Over Violence, which I think where you could, was Peace Over Violence. I've talked to them in the past for other coverage. Yeah. And so one thing that there's a story that really, um, I actually kind of like took me down a long research career on this, but this woman, uh, she had experienced violence with her partner and it was brutal. Right. And it was really awful, but, um, she, was gang affiliated. And so going to a a cop to report it, to receive services, um, her kids could risk being taken away because she would, it would put her in a space where her background or record and her interaction with other parts of the systems would have triggered a whole nother thing. So it was, it was literally like, she can't go and access these services or can, cannot report. And, And that's just like one tiny sliver of yeah, this, the inaccessibility of the system. It's kind of, it's a question is like, who is it even designed for really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the irony is that, uh, from what I understand that uh, many of our shelters originally were founded in response to women needing shelter from their batterers mm-hmm. going back to, you know, like a hundred years in this country. So the fact that it then took until then, what, the 1970s or 80s until there was a designated women's shelter in the country is like, it's a lot of decades of neglect of pretending that women are not homeless. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like, uh, when you said you were collecting data, like, were you able to meet with a, a lot of survivors or did you just go off on what was already available? No, I was really fortunate to connect with uh, seven survivors, um, half of which I really spent a lot of time with. Um, one in particular, we did a, did a lot of interviews with. Um, and I mean, their experiences, each, each one of their experiences, though, each individual survivor, you know, different in their own rights, had their own breadth of experiences. Every, everything that they said validated each other. Uh, and echoed one another in terms of like the cycle of abuse and how that contributes to people becoming unhoused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the other, the thing that uh, I think, I don't think I've seen a lot of coverage on this, but the impact of financial abuse, right. And that, that even as a type of abuse, um, I, I think is relatively newer into like the broader media space. So uh, yeah. How did you, come to that or or that was a big part of it. Yeah. And I I learned that myself. I mean, once it's explained to you, it kind of makes sense. Like 99% of, I think that's the statistic, um, uh, of people in, you know, survivors of intimate partner abuse, they have this issue of, of, uh, 
um, financial abuse. They don't have safe access to a bank account. Um, I mean, ultimately it comes down to this issue of like control, control power and control and mm-hmm. to control somebody's resources. Um, that's like the ultimate form of control. And that's, you know, what everyone relies on. Like you think about like, if you're, if you're, if you're living with someone or, you know, if you're trying to transition out of a relationship, it's always hard. It's always hard. It's never, mm-hmm. never easy. You know, even in the best, most amicable breakups where everyone has lots of pocket money, it's still kind of hard. But then you're leaving someone who has literally taken everything from you. Yeah. Um, and what was most illuminating is that how many laws there are that, that allow it to happen or lack of protection, protective laws. And so that's what I, I'm hoping that more reporting in this field will result in is, you know, ha- teaching a bank teller to uh, mm. identify financial abuse. You know, there, there are some signs that you can see if someone is being coerced into handing over their paycheck, that kind of thing. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting. Um, and you know, one thing too that I, I've thought about too, especially with young people, right? And it's just even the uh, inaccessibility of affordable rent, like how much that contributes to partner abuse, right? Or just, you know, because I see it in my peer group um, where two people are in a relationship and maybe the rent becomes too expensive. Like, oh, we need to cohabitate and maybe that's not the best relationship, but it's like a survival mechanism, right? So people end up, um, kind of in these intertwined or in spaces and relationships that, and and not a lot of independence of, or not a lot of power in kind of being able to go somewhere else because literally the rent is too high. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and that's exacerbated for a lot of people who tend to make, you know, uh, like women generally uh, have most of the, uh, low income jobs in, in mm-hmm. LA County, you know, so it just makes it all the more difficult. I mean, we need, we, uh, we obviously need better and more shelters for survivors, but ultimately there are many, many people who wouldn't need the shelter if we had just, you know, more affordable rent Yeah, or if we were able to provide, you know, emergency grants for someone so they can get their first and last month's rent, because most people just need a little bit of help. Yeah. yeah. Before just falling off, you know, at least that's been my case. Yeah. So with, um, with, I was looking online and saw several articles by you. Has anything, have you seen any, you know, any change, obviously not any change, however big or small it is, but from, you know, from people reading your articles or people getting informed of what's really going on, have you seen it? You know, I, you know, I think so. Hmm, that's a hard one. I haven't seen any, like my dream is that my reporting will like make law change people's lives. Right. Like that's, that's what I would love to see come from it. But I think right now what's been the most moving is we've, we've, <clears throat> we've invited people to uh, give us their own responses of their own experiences of being on how people that are coming forward and, and, and sharing that with us. Um, and so the fact that like, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I was, I was going to say, uh, the reason why I was asking is because when one of your articles I was reading, cause you know, a lot of times people say, Oh, these people are choosing to be homeless. or these people, you know, they don't want to go to work, but I'm like, you know, your article, you know, saying 57% of the women that are are in house are, you know, escaping from something, you know, that's putting a face to a lot of the women that are experiencing homelessness and people should, you know, people get to know that, you know, not, not everyone is choosing not to go to work. There are actually people who are homeless because they, 
they had nowhere else to go because of the domestic violence experiencing. So I guess that was what I was alluding to my question. Has that helped in any way? Um, yeah. Hey guys, I think I froze up there. Oh, did you, were you able to hear Tony's uh, question? No, I, I, I think that's right when it froze. Tony, would you mind saying that for me again? Oh yeah. Um, I was saying, so I was alluding to the fact that, you know, one of your articles did talk about how 57% of the women unhoused are, you know, escaping from domestic violence. And, you know, a lot of the times people out here are saying, oh, people choose to be homeless or why are these people not getting jobs? And, you know, I was, I guess I was asking, do any of your articles help, you know, people realize that, you know, people are not choosing to be homeless in LA. Nobody, you know, nobody does that, but it's just certain circumstances lead to you being there. So it's like, how do you as a reporter then amplify and let people know that, you know, we should be helping people. We should, um, you know, we should be creating more spaces, you know, for people escaping uh, DV and also creating an easier path for them to um, instead of making people jump through, you know, multiple hoops saying, you know, how, how can we make this process smaller and easier for people? Because, you know, when you were talking about, it sounds like a lot of, you know, from getting, a, having to report it and getting a, you know, restraining order. a restraining order to all, to all this, like nobody should have to go through that, especially if you're also juggling having kids and a job. So it's like, mm-hmm we need to find a way to make the process smaller so people can, you know, can go back to job, can take care of their kids if they have kids and also be an environment that's safe for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> throws up there one more time. I just caught the, the tail end. I'm, I'm sorry. I missed the tail end. Your question. So, so I guess it's uh, as you as a reporter, how, how can you amplify those voices and make, you know, and make sure those voices are being heard and people know what, you know, what homelessness, you know, I paint a picture of one side of homelessness, you know, of why women are experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, I think I hear, I understand what you're asking. Um, I think a lot of that has been, is trying to profile the individuals um, and why I'm glad that we were able to do a series and not just a single story, because when you, that's the sacrifice, like when you just focus on one individual, you do get that like heart to heart, you know, that's, that's at least where you have the chance of getting in. I think more than anywhere else of like seeing yourself in the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you only do that with one person, then it just seems like, oh, this is like a special case. So you need to amplify that. Like, this is the experience of multiple people in a way that is. I just, I I really tried my best to show like my sources really did everything that they were supposed to do, you know, with, with what they had, um, with their understanding of trauma at the time, you know, I, you know, it's good. Hopefully, you know, with, with having good editors, I was, we were able to do that, you know, um, I don't know how else to, to get that message across because I couldn't agree with more. And I think that's something that's in the, you know, the back of your, of my, at least for me, the back of my head, whenever I write about homelessness is like, I always, I, ha- I always have that naysayer in my head and I'm like, how do I anticipate what like nonsense <laughs> you're going to say in response yeah. or like, how you're going to misunderstand this statement? Um, and, and hopefully I'll continue to get better at that as I, yeah, as I, it's a, yeah, it's a, everyone's getting, yeah, it's a, 
everyone's getting better at that. And it's having conversations like this. I think that we're all learning. I mean, the podcast is, is one tiny, like, you know, thing that we're trying to contribute more voices into the space and, and bring that out. And so I think it's just building more platforms and like collaborating is also super important. Um, I had a question too. I want to, I wanted to, to get for you to expand more about the brutality in the shelters. I think, uh, that's, it's something we hear that, you know, shelters are dangerous, but maybe more of like kind of what you learned. Yeah. I mean, even in, I'd say the best, the best place that, uh, you could be as a survivor is a domestic violence shelter because at least there's services, uh, that are tailored for you, but it doesn't, doesn't mean that you'll be treated necessarily, uh, with respect, uh, or that uh, you'll get to have your own autonomy. Um, did I freeze up? I can't, I don't know. I hear you, but I, I'm all frozen on my end. Same for me. Okay. I can hear you, Tony. See if she comes back. I wanted to ask her if there's, um, if there are men experiencing DV. Oh yeah. Um, you're back. (laughs) Apologies. Um, okay. So your question, um, uh, the brutality in the shelter systems. Yeah. I'd say what was most shocking is this idea that like, that someone shouldn't have their own autonomy in order to be safe. Um, and that's in a space where they may be even physically safe, you know, cause it's uh, abuse, uh, sexual violence is rampant in, in, uh, many different shelter spaces. Mm-hmm. I, I had not personally heard of any of that kind of physical violence happening in a domestic violence shelter. Um, but there was all kinds of emotional trauma and psychological trauma that happened there, you know, forcing people to hand over their belongings, to quit their jobs, to completely cut off contact with their entire life. Um, the idea that like someone can't decide what to do with their time, that they have to adhere to a curfew, you know, this little things that chip away kind of your sense of personhood. Um, that I think we got it. You're back. <laughs> no, that's, that's, oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. I don't know where you guys lost me. Uh, you said those little things that chip away at your personhood. Yeah. Those things that, that chip away at your personhood there, you know, even in the best shelter settings can, can really cause damage. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so, yeah, it's interesting. Cause that's, this, this is not a new problem, right? Like we've known that shelter rules kind of the, this, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about like carceral housing as, um, as, as a term that I'm hearing more, like it's got rules and restrictions and you're in, you know, a, a cot. I mean, I don't know if that's the way it is at, at a domestic violence shelter, but it's something that we continue to hear. And it's just like, why are we not, you know, why are we, why are we not getting away from that and kind of learning those lessons? Tony, you had a question too. Yes. Um, I was going to ask in your research or reporting, are there, is there a data on men going through domestic abuse or was, you know, have you, excuse me, have you talked to any men or, cause I, I was trying to do some research and I couldn't find, you know, anything. No, it absolutely is. It, it contributes to, um, homelessness, uh, 
also for for cisgender men, for trans people, for non-binary people. Um, the the reason why it we focused on women is that domestic violence was the distinction between men and women. Uh, once unhoused in terms of reporting the reason. So it does happen and it is prevalent um, for men, but for the purpose of our reporting in terms of the public health crisis in the county of Los Angeles, that is why we focused with people who self-identified as women. Mm -hmm. Um, I I personally, in my reporting project, did not speak with men, but I was a guest on KBCC's Air Talk where we had a a really amazing 40-minute segment where we opened the phones and uh, invited uh, people who had experienced homelessness as a result of DV. Uh, And at least half, if not more, of our calls were from men whose experiences echoed everything that I heard in my reporting. I'd say the only difference is that, you know, it's that that kind of uh, unfortunate uh, gender bias that doesn't allow men to to take those spaces of survivor, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when it comes to sexual violence or other forms of abuse that just you know, women are supposed to be victimized, men are not. That's, that's, you know, it just makes it all the more difficult to come forward. I think if you're a man. Yeah. That one thing, um, that in in my research as an academic, I've looked at a lot of like the experiences of violence on the street. Right. So, um, people that are currently experiencing homelessness, um, there are high rates of, of intimate partner violence, interpersonal violence, but, and kind of like that, the overall just community violence, but, you know, it's one thing that we've also seen, which is so interesting is when we do a couple of studies where we followed young people into housing and into rapid rehousing and the violence rates drop immediately. So, you know, a lot of young, we'll say like 30% of young people are reporting experiencing partner violence before moving into housing. And it almost drops to like nothing, which imagine any other, like we don't have any other intervention that could, that's, that's a huge public health impact, right? Just basic housing. And I think it really exemplifies how we are, you know, failing survivors, um, at at every stage of this, you know, and and just by that overall structural barriers that are happening. Absolutely. You know, or the quality of life that we expect people to accept once we offer them housing. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a number of people I spoke with who they're, you know, they were able to get into into transitional housing and, uh, it was a nightmare Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, sometimes worse than when they lived in an encampment. So again, this, uh, just Tony, to go back to your point of like, why don't people just whatever, you know, to get Mm. themselves out of homelessness is that like kind of, uh, uninformed opinion. It's like, okay, you, you live in this space, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you psychologically do when someone is screaming through the night or you can't sleep without worrying about being assaulted and kind of see where your head is at in terms of getting your next gig. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I guess that's, it's just trying to demonstrate that as much as we can, because you're right. It is not addressed. Yeah. So in, in terms of uh, obviously domestic abuse or abuse in general, um, a lot of these cases, uh, uh, I guess in our case, the LAPD would, you know, would be involved um, in your research. How how much of help were the police or were, are they part of the problem or um, what did you find? You know, there were a couple people who said I met a few kind officers Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it was like out of the dozens of times police showed up to my door, 
you know, one guy was kind and gave me a pamphlet. Um, you know, not the kind of intervention you imagine when you're, when you need help. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I did not specifically reach out to law enforcement to get their official take. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that I have is anecdotal, but, um, yeah, the, 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 it's, it's one of the, it's one of the things that you are criminalized for being a victim of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I knew, so I met someone who, uh, she lost her home because there were too many police calls to her house that were not, that were made by neighbors, you know? So, you know, if they took him away, he came back immediately, like with like within yeah. a weekend it was released. Um, and then the other time that LAPD or other law enforcement came up was when people were living unhoused, uh, specifically in traveling and encampments of the trauma of being roused in the middle of the night by the police and just completely br- talk about brutality, uh, of, of their belongings and their physical bodies being, you know, uh, just totally disrespected when just trying to get some sleep. Yeah. Um, not just the, like, you can't be here conversation, which is of course, unfortunate enough, but uh, some really kind of ugly descriptions that were consistent. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, with this such a, it's often, yeah, one of the only resources that we have, I um, get, um, yeah, like inquiries all the time of like, oh, this person, we have someone that's going through this. What, what are the options for immediate help? And there really aren't any. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get into, if you are, my understanding is that if, if you are not self-identified as a, as a domestic violence survivor, you pretty much need to be unhoused for about a year before you qualify for, for shelter longer than a two week stint. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to get into a domestic violence shelter in LA County is hard because there's like a thousand shelter beds between both emergency, which is like you stay there for 30 days tops and transitional, which can even be up to a couple years where like you have your own little apartment, you have a couple kids there. So think about how many of us there are in LA County and the, the, the like one in three or four women, uh, and one in five men, uh, mm-hmm. are survivors or will experience intimate partner violence in the course of their lives. Just statistically, how many people are in need of those services? And you have like 11, I'm sorry, you have a, you have a thousand shelter beds. And then if you have any form of, of, you know, uh, how do I say this? If you don't just fit the, 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 uh, gender expression that they want you to like saying mm-hmm. you're trans, you're trans, it gets even harder to find a, a safe shelter space. I think the city of LA currently has one yeah. women that opened wow. up in the past couple of years. And it's, it's like, I think it's like 16 beds in it. Wait, you yeah. Said yeah, I read that in shelter just one shelter for women or just one shelter for, for trans trans, yes. trans women oh wow yeah yeah I, yeah uh, <laughs> i know and what we have uh 10 million people living in the county so uh it's pretty it's, it's pretty slim um you know one what were what would some big takeaways or kind of what should providers advocates be thinking about well, there, I mean, there are a couple of people who I met who are really doing some inspirational work to try to change this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, LA County does have, uh, I think one of the only coalitions of this, of this sort, um, where it's specifically brings together, uh, homelessness and domestic violence providers into one conversation. And the idea is like, you know, you meet monthly, you talk about your needs, you talk about how you can maybe, you know, place staff in one another's facilities. Um, 
and, uh, and that, you know, they hope to be a model, you know, mm. who knows if we'll get there, but there's, there's a will I'd say in LA County that, um, has really been provider driven. And what is most impressive to me is that they're actually trying to get the data and they're trying to get anecdotal data. So actually getting testimony from survivors, like what were your specific obstacles to getting housing? You know, Mm -hmm. um, what could, what could have been done better for you as opposed to this kind of prescriptive, like, you know, you have someone in an office that's telling, telling a provider how to run their thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, just to wrap it up to what, what, are there, what's coming next from you in, after this kind of deep dive, like, has it opened up any doors that you want to go down next? Yeah, I have a hard time imagining, um, not following this kind of reporting for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart's definitely in it. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see, I'm, I'm very curious to see what these providers are able to do in terms of creating better synergy. Um, you know, yeah, I really, there's so much work to be done and I'd very much like to, to follow that. Um, and then as far as this particular project, you know, I mentioned that we are, uh, we have opened up all of our articles. There's a link that has uh, an ability to share your own experience. And so we will be, uh, using that to forward our reporting. Um, it's just going to take us some time because you know, a lot of folks reaching out are currently in danger. So yeah. we have to use particular care, um, in how we incorporate them in our reporting. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Or that's, that's really interesting and great that the story is going to continue. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and explaining more or kind of, um, telling us more about the story and the reporting that you've been doing. And we really appreciate the work again, like, yeah, bringing more narrative, more story into the space. It's so important. Um, yeah, that I, um, yeah. Sorry, Go ahead, I Tony. just ask um, one quick question in your in your research and findings. How how many of the women you know from domestic abuse were coming from a background where they were maybe it was like a sex trafficking thing or they were underage? My personal reporting didn't, uh, my sources didn't fall into that category, but it's, it's like, you know, if you look at the Venn diagram uh, of of human trafficking and uh, survivors becoming unhoused, like there's this absolutely commonality here. And I think a lot of the same resources would serve, uh, you know, if you, if you consider them different populations, you know, would Uh serve everybody. Well, thank you so much. Uh, is there any places where people can follow or continue to follow your work? Yeah. Um, I mean, folks can see the whole series at laist.com slash pushed out. Um, and there's also links to all of our, um, uh, radio versions. So if you just want to listen to them instead of read them, I think you also get a better kind of personal connection when you hear someone's voice as opposed to reading the quote. So I, I would recommend if people have time to do that. Uh, and then we, we put a whole thing together. Um, it aired the uh, 16th and the 17th on the LA report. It was a two part series. It's all of these stories strung together um, and a lot of context uh, with some experts on like, you know, how all this happens. Amazing. Incredible. We'll post those links. Well, thank you. Thank you guys. I, I really am quite honored that you invited me to talk with you and I, I really like what you guys are doing. This podcast is produced by Lensco in partnership with Safe Place for Youth and funded by the Department of Mental Health Innovations 2.